is there hope for America? And we're talking about some, you know, the, the, the situation of America and so many different things that we've got going on in our country. And last week I shared with you that I have a few thoughts about why I'm trying to put this, how I'm trying to put this series together for us. The first thought is I want to be able to talk about some hot topics that are on our news channels and on our minds and on our conversations around the water coolers at our office. And I want to talk about those, those topics like they're a newspaper in one hand and then I want to put a Bible in the other hand. And I want to let the Bible address some of the things we've got going on in America right now. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, we're inviting you to join us into the conversation on Wednesday nights. So I hope you don't miss purposely plugged in. So we're going to be talking about it more on Wednesday nights. The third thing is some, some folks have asked me, hey, would you help equip us to know how to even talk to our children about these things. And so that's one of the things I'm trying to make sure that I'm doing that's going to happen heavily in the next couple of weeks, the equipping side. And then finally, if you remember this, I told you every week we're going to close our service by praying for our country. And so I think it's very important that we as Christ followers and people who are, who are trying after what God's plans are, we've, we fall on our knees and we hold our country up before our Lord. And so um, as we begin to study today's message, um, to dive into several different scriptures, I want to invite you, as I often do, just to pray a prayer of openness, that whatever God would speak in your world today and in your heart, that you would be open to receive that seed and that it would bear fruit in our lives, that he would mold us and change us and shape us. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's just pray a simple prayer of openness. God, we thank you so much for who you are. You are an active and powerful force in our lives, and you're always wanting to to operate in us and through us. And Lord, here we are in church today. We are gathered around your people, and we are gathered around your word. And Lord, um, when we get ready to study your word, I just want to take a moment to say thank you for that message we just heard in that song. And thank you that 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 message uh, that that was proclaimed by the prophet Jeremiah, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that that's true today. And thank you like we were studying last week in the book of Genesis when when Adam and Eve had, had bitten the apple and they were off hiding and you were walking through the garden. Thank you that you weren't coming to punish them. But thank you that you have loved them and you have loved us with an everlasting love and you are walking through the garden in a heart of restoration and reconciliation. And Lord, we're, we're talking to you. We're asking you. We're learning from you. We're listening for you about the needs of our country right now. And Lord, I believe on your heart is, is this deep desire for us to return back to you and, and to be reconciled. And so, Lord, we are here today asking for your word to be poured into our lives to, to show us. And we are listening. Lord, we pray a prayer of openness right now. Plant the seed of truth that is everlasting truth in us today. That, Lord, we may be changed and we be, may be more like you. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, um, so I want to invite you to read an opening scripture with me today. And there's a scripture that I talked to you about last week, one of several scriptures. It's found in the Gospel of John, John 10.10. 10. And last week, in preparation for kind of throwing that scripture out at you, and that's a scripture you've heard a lot, but um, this scripture that when Jesus was teaching, he said, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And, I, and I, last week I threw this idea out at you that we are in a cultural war in America. We're not so much in a cold war. We don't think of it that way as much anymore. And, and we do have skirmishes happening beyond our borders. But really on most Americans' minds are the divisions and the conflicts that we're seeing even inside of our borders. 
And that cultural war, here's the deal, if you use the word war, and if you really think we have that kind of conflict going on, whenever there is conflict, whenever there's war, there's always an enemy. You can't have one without the other, right? And, and I told you last week that when, is, when Jesus was teaching, he made it crystal clear that the enemy of Christ's followers is Satan, the evil one. And he called him the thief. He says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus had come that we may have life. And behind this ideological war that we have going on, these conflicts, these divisions, at the heart of it is an enemy who wants to destroy our country. And so in, the, in that historical context, I wanted to start today with kind of an understanding of, uh, of what happened 3,000 years ago. Not in the Bible, interestingly enough, in a conflict uh, between uh, the Greeks and the Trojans. And um, the Greeks were wanting to, there was a long conflict, actually a 10-year ten, uh, war between uh, the men of Greece and the men of Troy. And the men of Greece could not penetrate the city. They could not penetrate the city. And so finally they figured out, you know what? We can't do by might what we might be able to do by our brains. And so they came up with an idea. And you, you remember this idea, right? They built a huge wooden horse. They were building what has now come to be known as the Trojan horse. And if you remember your history story, um, the, the people of Troy literally looked out and they saw them on the beaches building this huge horse. And they wondered, what are they doing? They had their spies out there. And uh, the idea was, we're going to build this horse and we're going to sail away. We're going to leave it right here on the beach. And that's exactly what they did. They built the horse, they sailed away, and they sailed to an island just where they could see the edge uh, of where, they, where, where the horse was. And... And the people of Troy came out, and they found that the, that the Greeks had sailed away, and they looked, and they said, what is this big horse? Some said, burn it. Some said, burn it, and some said, no, no, this, this should be our, our spoil. This should be our sign of victory. I want you to watch a little clip, because we weren't alive 3,000 years ago, and sometimes movies can actually help us imagine what it was like. But if you know the story of the Trojan horse... They pulled the horse into their city, and inside the horse were 30 warriors hiding, waiting. They danced in revelry in celebration of finally beating the Greeks, and they celebrated all day long and into the night, and then when they went to bed, the soldiers came out of the horse, and they were finally inside the city. Hey, watch this with me, and think, think about this image of a Trojan horse, because I want to talk to you about some Trojan horses that I think are going on in our American context right now. What is this? An offering to Poseidon. The Greeks are praying for a safe return home. This is a gift. We should take it to the temple of Poseidon. I think we should burn it. Burn it, my prince. It's a gift to the gods. Father, burn it.
they signaled that they were inside the city. And what they had thought was a gift when they brought it inside the city actually ended up to be their very destruction. If you hold that in your mind today, I want you to think about some things with me that as American culture we might have thought of as gifts, good things that we have invited into our culture, but that might actually be far different than a gift. They could actually be for the undermining, for the destruction of the very society and culture we live in. I want you to think of it that way. And remember this, the thief comes to what? Still kill and destroy. So, a few ideas about, and and by the way, I think there are many Trojan horses in our American culture, but a few of them that I want to share with you today. If you have your pen, I want to invite you to think with me, and I I want to throw them out there at you, okay? And so the first one is this. Uh, The Trojan horse that I would address first in our American context is this idea or this use of political correctness that we have. So write that in for a minute. Political correctness. Now, I I know a lot about political correctness. As a matter of fact, the place I'm coming back from this morning taught me a lot about political correctness as a student at Emory University. Um, This idea of political correctness has a history, by the way. And if you really want to know just a little bit about the history of political correctness, why don't you just... Google history of political correctness, not in church later on, okay? Don't Google it right now. But the truth of the matter is, during the last century, uh, through a lot of uh, what what began as uh, economic Marxism, then turned into cultural Marxism, what what really was an effort in Germany, Russia, and China to turn the bourgeois or the the rich, the aristocracy, the people who had money, um, against the people who were poor and uneducated, uh, this, this... this idea of political correctness, it wasn't first called political correctness, started being used. And it, and it was used to turn a, the, the people who, to give power to the people who were poor, to give power to the people who were uneducated, and to put them, us, versus them against the people who were educated. And so what basically began to happen is just not a far cry from the day. Um, it, was, it was an us versus them thing, and it began to be this kind of fear that we could do or say or, or even believe or think differently because it was going to impede upon somebody else or it would be wrong for somebody else. And, and this whole thing of political correctness uh, was, was really a, a, a genesis in the last century in what we know it as today. Now, I've told many of you, I'm reading a book right now called The Politically incorrect Jesus. And the author of that book says, you know what, even though most people, when they think about political correctness and they look at the history in the last century, they go back to Marxism, the truth of the matter is, you can find people who are trying to be politically correct way back in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the scripture I want to share with you in the next couple of minutes, I think is one of the classic examples of how even when Jesus came, people were trying to get him to be politically correct and identify with one area or the other or even make him mess up with his words. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to read with me a a scripture that's probably familiar with a lot of folks. Matthew 22, it's found in in all four Gospels. Matthew 22 is a story of uh, the Pharisees, that was one group, and the Herodians, people who were enemies of each other, coming to try to trap Jesus. Read this scripture with me real quickly. The Bible says, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him. If you have your pen, you might want to circle those two words, trap him. The, 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 the literal words there have a lot to do with a trickery or a trap or a, a cunning scheme. 
And that's important because we're going to talk about that later on, okay? But it was an idea that they were going to trap Jesus in his words. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now you have to understand these two different groups. The Pharisees were religiously uh, and culturally uh, champions of Judaism and, and Jewish history. The Herodians were the people who were champions of Rome, okay? Herods, the Herods were put in place because they wanted Roman conquering and Roman rule around the world. These two people didn't like each, these two groups didn't like each other at all. But they had a plan. If we can both come together, we'll call them the left and the right, okay? We'll call them the conservatives and the progressives. If we can just come together, we can, we can capture this new rabbi. We can get him. And if he picks our side, then he'll be against Caesar. Or if he picks our side, he'll be against the Jews, and we will alienate this guy. Get the picture? Now let's follow on. And so what happens is uh, they, they sent their disciples along with the Herodians, and they said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. I want you to listen for flattery, by the way. That's what they're doing. They're flattering Jesus, trying to get him to drop his guard. Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Is it right to go with the Herodians or to go with the Pharisees? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? There's those words again. Trickery, deceiving, a little bit of cunning, a little bit of scheming. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying taxes. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. The literal idea here is shocked without a word to be able to say because of his response. They were amazed. And so they left him and they went away. You know, in this trapping, in this trickery moment, what's interesting to me is that Jesus is giving us a picture of who he is. He's not going to identify with one group or the other. And I think that's one of the issues facing America today. A lot of folks are just, they're, they're building camps in one area or the other. They're, I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. You know, I was, can I just tell, talk about me for a minute? I was raised in a Republican home. That was my home. I know some of you guys were raised in a home like that, and some of you guys were raised in a Democrat home. And therefore, I kind of accepted all the precepts of a Republican, you know, mantra. All the public, I didn't know whether I believed them or not, quite frankly. I knew that some things I identified with, and most of them maybe so because of the home I grew up in. You know, I was a graduate student at Emory University before all of a sudden really a rock hit me in the head. And I said, wait a minute, do I really identify with everything in that party? And you know what I learned? Can, I'll just tell you a real quick story. Here's how it happened for me. I was walking down a hallway and I walked past a poster. Now, you wouldn't think a poster would be a rock that hit somebody in the head, would you? I walked past a poster and the poster said simply this, one time Jesus was asked about the death penalty and it was the hand with a stone in it. Grabbed my attention. I stopped there for a minute because for the greater part of my life, you know, I had this ideology that's right here in this particular party that says this, and I knew other people think that. And, and I'm, listen, I'm not trying to get into the politics of it all, 
But I thought to myself, hmm, he was? I never thought about that. And then I realized that one time Jesus was asked about the death penalty. Remember the woman that had been caught in adultery? She'd been caught in adultery. She broke the law. Are we to stone her or not? Jesus bends down and writes on the, on the dirt. I had never, listen, I had never held the Bible in one hand and my own family's political ideologies in the other and said, do these things match up? And you know what I figured out that day? I figured out that maybe the cultural ideologies of my family that I just kind of blindly accepted, maybe I needed to go through and look at the different tenets of the different political parties that are there. And you know what I learned from me? I learned that there's not a political party that I'm ever going to identify fully with, you know? There's not one because I have problems with that one and I have problems with that one. And it it becomes a little bit convoluted, doesn't it? But look what Jesus does. Jesus is above all that. Jesus doesn't sit in one or sit in the other. Jesus is above that. Jesus isn't going to identify with the Pharisees. He's not going to say I'm a Herodian. Jesus is going to say, hey, listen, (laughs) that's such a small thing. That is so earthly. Jesus had a big kingdom vision. You get that picture? Jesus wasn't willing to argue about all that stuff. Jesus knew that was a trap, a trick. Jesus knew that was just going to cause problems. Jesus had a way of getting above and beyond it. I think sometimes it's political correctness stuff that we, that we get all involved in that keeps us from being able to even feel like we can speak or being fearful of the words we say. Some people are fearful of the things they might even write down because they might offend somebody, might hurt somebody. It's because we're in this trap. It's because we're in this trickery. And I've shared with you already that when political correctness is there, when, when we're worried about that, listen, political correctness was born out of power and fear. That's what it was born out of. And it's still operating in that today. Go back to the Pharisees and the Herodians. Power and fear, and that's why we want to trap Jesus in all this, if we can use those two things. So I think it's very important to understand that political correctness, even though it's just gained so much momentum in our culture today, can be very much like a Trojan horse. It looks like a gift. It looks like we're being intellectually honest, but in some ways, we're actually being very intellectually dishonest. We're not even able to talk about the things that we want to talk about. Okay, so I'm going to, uh, listen, this is going to be a different kind of series, and uh, I'm going to be pushing you a little bit. Is that okay? Can I push you a little bit and you not get all upset and leave church? All right, I want to push you a little bit because I want to push the envelope. One of my theology professors sometimes said, whatever you understand about God, it's kind of like a web, and if I thump over here, it can shake everything else. I want to, Charlie, is it okay if I thump a little bit and maybe things shake around a little bit? Is that all right? This past week... <laughs> I, was, I found a video on the internet, and I just thought, wow, the, the, last, the last minute and a half of it are phenomenal. And I thought, this is the heart of what I'm trying to share here. And it was couched somewhat in, 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 in a voice that you all will know very well. And it was couched somewhat in a, in a political ideology that I wish I could pull aside, but you have to understand the whole thing in order to get it. Charlton Heston is talking to the NRA, and it's got, it's got guns all over it. Put aside... Uh, whatever you believe about guns and that kind of stuff, and listen to his message in the last minute and a half to two minutes of what I want to share with you real quickly, and listen to what he's trying to say about political correctness and how it can be a Trojan horse for our what some would think is a gift, and it can be destroying the very intellectual honesty that we want to have in the United States of America. Uh, so join me in this, and let's listen, if you will. Moses is going to speak. 
just a few weeks ago. My good friend Wayne Lapierre, the executive director, head of the National Rifle Association, spoke pretty candidly on national television about the president's gun policies. In return, he was personally and professionally crucified for daring to speak his mind. During the past eight years, President Clinton has fought hard for every kind of firearm restriction imaginable. Yet at the same time... Don't get caught up in the President Clinton and all that stuff. Just listen to the big picture, That's the true. macro level. That's true. Yet at the same time, he has, as a matter of policy, refused to vigorously enforce the 22,000 gun laws, federal gun laws already on the books. Wayne said that prosecuting felons with firearms is the only proven policy that has cut gun murders by half. He watched it work in Richmond, Virginia, under a program called Project Exile. Every felon, with every man with a felony record caught with a firearm, whether he's committing a crime or not, serves a mandatory five years in prison. No plea bargaining, no deal. I must tell you, that started with a brave young federal district attorney, assistant district attorney, who was working in Richmond. And uh, he came home one night, and his daughter was sitting in front of the television. There had been some kind of a gunfight in the streets. And she said, Daddy, can't anybody do something about this? And he said, yeah, honey, your daddy can. And he did, with the help of the NRA. Uh, we gave him close to a million dollars, and it's working. Believe me, not many felons carry firearms in Richmond anymore. The NRA helped fund that, as I said, when the Clinton administration wouldn't. So I think Wayne LaPierre spoke the truth when he said the president seems willing to accept a certain amount of firearm-related violence because enforcement interfered with his personal anti-gun agenda. The words were no more out of Wayne's mouth when the media erupted. For two solid weeks, he was demonized, scorned, vilified. But during those same weeks, the media was far more interested in reporting what Wayne said than investigating what Clinton did or failed to do. In fact, the president has been miserably lax in enforcing federal gun laws, but it was easier to condemn a good man for making a politically incorrect statement than it was to dig out the facts and exonerate a victim of cultural warfare. To me, political correctness is tyranny, just tyranny with manners. This The spectacle of Wayne LaPierre's media crucifixion appalled me. Yet at the same time, it stiffened my determination to speak out even louder with all the breath I have about this cultural cancer that's eating away at our society. So, in closing, let me challenge those good, strong young minds of yours. Dare to consider both sides of any issue and find the courage to question authority. 
Don't always believe everything you hear from a Bill Clinton, a Dan Rather, a George Bush, or an Al Gore. Dig deeper than the headlines, or the stump speeches, or the television news. Don't trust any of us. Not a Michael Jordan, or a Dennis Miller, not even Charlton Heston. <laughs> because we all have our prejudices. And it's your job to sort through all the rhetoric, weigh and measure each word, and decide on your own. When a featherless kid in a crack house finds a stolen gun and shoots a schoolmate, stand up and say, giving drug dealers trigger locks isn't a solution here. When a mugger sues his elderly victim for defending herself, jam the switchboard at the district attorney's office. Raise the roof with your outrage. Or when your university is pressured to lower standards till 80% of the students graduate with honors, choke the halls of the Board of Regents in a unified show of disgruntled force. When an eight-year-old boy pecks a girl's cheek on a playground and gets hauled into court for sexual harassment, descend on that school like avenging, avenging angels until someone in charge exercises some common sense. And when someone you've elected is seduced by the power of the office and betrays you, muster the collective will to banish them from public life. Because, because unless you do these things, freedom as we have known it for two centuries cannot endure. So I challenge you to take up the torch that freed exiles, founded religions, defeated tyrants, and provoked an armed and roused rabble to break out of bondage and build this country. There is still some of them in all of us. So don't give up just yet. We're not quite finished with their revolution. Thank you. I think Charlton Heston has some good words to say, and I normally don't show you a seven-minute clip here at Harvest Point. I felt like he was saying something that I was having a hard time put together, and he said it so well. It is so important that we look at this issue of political correctness and we say, is that really a gift, or is it really an attack upon our very culture? Hey, you got your pen? Uh, write in this next one. I think another, another attack or, uh, that we're having in our culture that might look like a gift is, is what I would call... This, this concept of an amoral society, amoral, meaning that there's no such thing as morals, that, that morals are whatever you make of them. That you, you know, there's no such thing as a right or a wrong. It really depends upon whatever your experience is, and you can figure out what's right and wrong for whatever you feel like. And what's interesting is that in this, this idea of an amoral society where there is no absolute truth, truth is whatever you deem it to be based upon your experience. The problem with that is, is that everyone, here's the thought, everyone has a right to be right. And the truth of the matter is, just because you say something's right, don't mean it's right, you know. We have to understand that 
this understanding, this, this idea of an amoral society, this idea that truth is relative and there is no such thing as absolute. Here's what that does at the heart of it. The, the thing that an amoral, the, the, the pushing of an amoral society does is it serves me. If I get to decide what truth is, it's all about me, right? And then I don't have to worry about what you say or how you think truth is. I can determine truth for myself. It's a very, very selfish understanding. And I think at the heart of this, this pushing of uh, relative truth, and there's no such thing as absolute truth, at the heart of it, it is why we are seeing some, some big problems in our country. It's part, it's part of the reason we have family decay the way we have it. It's, it's part of the reason uh, that we have so much fatherlessness in America. It's, it's got something to do also with the divorce rate. It's got something to do with, with the, uh, the amount of uh, unborn children that we're killing. It's got something to do with the corporate ethics failures that we're having in America right now. Because is it really wrong to steal or rob? You don't know my situation. My situation, my experience, it allows me to do things that you might deem as wrong, but they're right by me. Guys, read this scripture with me real quickly. In, in Philippians 2, Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, and he was writing about their culture, and it doesn't sound vastly different from ours. He said, here is the goal, that you may become blameless and pure. I love that. That you may be blameless and pure. That's righteous. Children of God without fault. Listen, in a warped and crooked generation. I underline those words. That you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the what? Word of life. What Paul was saying is there is such a thing as truth. And the children of God are supposed to be holding on to that truth, saying this is truth, holding tightly to the word of God and living by it as righteous, blameless children of God so that the folks who are part and struggling in the wicked and and, and uh, that generation that is far away from God, that they would see these stars shining. And they're the people who are holding tight to truth. You know, that whole idea of an amoral society just flies in the face of everything that Jesus taught when he talked about, you know, something that was far different from selfishness. He talked about giving your life away. He talked about giving what you have to the poor. Jesus was teaching a selfless life, not a selfish life. Got your pen? Write another one down. I'm going to go a little bit faster. Another Trojan horse I think we're facing in America is uh, our entertainment industry. We were talking about this around a, a table on Wednesday night, which is so, so good what our Wednesday nights is for when we have this other conversation beyond Sundays. We started talking about the entertainment industry and how it drives so much of our American culture, whether that's the movies or whether that's the TV or whether that's music or whether that's the internet, whether that's the technology that we have. There is so much about our entertainment industry that is driving America, and it might just be that it's driving us over a cliff, not just out for a nice ride in the convertible. Maybe this entertainment industry is a Trojan horse. It's not so much of a gift, but might be an attack on our nation. Stephen, what do you mean by that? Am I alone that, that it just seems like that when we were growing up, that the entertainment that we had was just a lot better than some of the entertainment we have tonight? Do you remember the old comedy shows? Do you remember the great humor they had by being clean and just being funny and sometimes just flat being goofy? But these days, it seems like so much of the comedy has always got to have raunchy stuff in it. How about drama? Do you remember when you used to watch drama shows growing up on TV or whatever it was, and, and it didn't have all the junk in it, it didn't have all the sexuality and all that stuff? It was just great drama. Or how about this one? 
Uh, how, how about this idea these days that there, there are these reality shows, right? Reality shows. And they're a dime a dozen. They're all over the place, right? And, and we look at them almost like I used to look at as a little boy. I remember when I was growing up, I watched uh, wrestling, WWE. Is that what it's called? WWE or WWE? I don't know. I used to watch wrestling, and I used to think, is it real? Because people told me it ain't real. And I think they're actors, but I'm not sure because it looks really real. And I didn't know whether it was real or not. And it's kind of what we look at like right now, these, these reality shows, which are really surreality, surreality shows. The truth of the matter is they're scripted, right? We wrote, shake your head. They're scripted. Yeah, they're not reality shows. They're scripted. And we know that, right? Or do we know that? Or do we? I mean, it just seems like so much of our entertainment industry is just, just driving over the edge. I remember when I was growing up that news was news. Do you remember that? It was like real news. These days, watch what happens when one hour finishes and the next hour ends. I was watching it just this week. One hour ended, these, these, these newscasters, newscasters finished, and the next newscasters took over, and I listened to the words. I, I normally don't pay attention. And the next newscaster said, thank you, Bob and Meredith, whatever their names were, for a great show. And I remember thinking, show? They put on a show for the last hour on one of our major cable network news. I remember when the news used to be the news, don't you? But now it's more of an entertainment factor. Guys, what, what is happening in our country with the entertainment right now is, is crazy. Villains are being put on pedestals. Uh, the people who are the crooks are being lifted high, you know. In celebrity, the people who are the weird, crazy, haircut, tongue, they're being the people who are making all the headlines. Because why? Because they're weird. And they're making the headlines. What in the world has happened to Miley Cyrus, right? I'm not alone. Am I correct? Okay, so listen. In our entertainment culture, what's happening is the people that are getting the headlines are, the, are, are, are just driving this thing deeper and deeper, darker and darker. And it's happening in music, and it's happening in movies, and it's happening in TV, and it's happening on your internet. It's happening everywhere. Now, can we just hold the Bible up for a minute? What did the Bible say that we're supposed to be like? Just listen to these words again in Philippians that Paul's writing to some people who are struggling in a crooked and perverse and warped generation. He writes, finally, brothers, these are the final thoughts he can leave them with. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, not reality, not surreality, not scripted, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is, listen to that word, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. You know what Paul knows that we sometimes forget? And we look at this Trojan horse and we say, oh, man, look at all the stuff they can do now with special effects. Look at all this stuff they can do in the movies. You know what we forget? It look, we forget that it's really, it, it might look like a gift. It's really a terrible trick. Paul knows this. What you put in is going to come out. And you put in bad junk with your listening of your music, with your listening and watching of your TV or your movies, what you put in he knows this is going to come out. So what does he say? Mamas and daddies, please listen to what he says. He says, listen, for your home and in your car, he says, for your family, listen, 
Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, then think about these things. Keep these things on your mind. Put these things in your soul. Don't put that other junk. Listen, the entertainment industry, guys, is a Trojan horse we need to be mindful of because it, it, it is, has some terrible things coming out of it. Uh, last one, last one real quickly. And by the way, these are just a few Trojan horses that I just want to mention today. What I would call um, these, these, this push towards inclusivity and tolerance. Write that down. Inclusivity and tolerance. When I, when I applied to go to grad school at Emory University, I was telling a group this past Wednesday night, I had to sign a covenant of inclusivity. Interesting words, a covenant of inclusivity. And it meant that I di- if I disagreed with anybody, even if they said, you know, they just came from Mars on a ship from outer space and it's parked in the parking lot, I couldn't verbalize my disagreement. And I remember as a 26-year-old thinking to myself, really? I'm about to go to three years of studying about God, and I can't even argue if somebody says something different to me. But you know what? I'd already paid my money, and it was time to go to school, and so I signed a a statement of inclusivity. And there were some big moments where people said stuff that I just wanted to say, you know what? I just disagree. Can we talk about it from a biblical standpoint? Why? Why is this inclusivity and this tolerance that's being pushed right now leading us to such a rough place? I mean, the truth of the matter is, sometimes we, we know truth. We know that we know the word, and somebody else is over here saying they think this and that, and we are afraid that we can't speak to tell them the truth because it might what? Offend them. They might think we're bigots. They might think we're hypocrites. They might, they might think that we are partisan. You know, they, they might think we already, we know, we know better. And, and this is crazy, guys. This is crazy buying into this, this fear. Remember what I said? Fear and power. We, we buy into this thing, and it keeps us from holding forward the word of truth that Paul said we were to hold forward. This is, this is so very important. So, so what happens when we buy in? If you, if you grab a hold of this Trojan horse, if you allow this thing to kind of uh, control your work relationships and to control your family relationships and your best friendships, and maybe some of you guys are going to school, around, if you grab a hold of this and you just let this Trojan horse in your life, what actually happens is you get to the place where you can't even have a discussion about things. You can't even have an, an intellectual conversation about what's happening in our world or what's happening, you know, in, in, our, in what we think about different ideas. We can't even have a conversation together because one shuts down the other. And you've, you've heard it. And you know it's true. Here's the truth of the matter is somebody wants us to be tolerant with them, but they don't want to be tolerant with us, right? Isn't that true? That's the heart of what this whole idea about tolerance is. Would you please be tolerant with what I think? But if I, if I disagree with you, you don't want to be tolerant towards me at all. Why? Because I'm looked at like I'm, I'm biased or I'm insensitive. Guys, this is a very big danger. And I've only had time to list out a few Trojan horses that I think are, are hurting our society and are within our walls right now. You could, the list could be long, long, long. But I wanted to go back to those words that, that happened when Jesus' story between the, the Pharisees and the Herodians. They were trying to trip him. They trap him up. They were trip him up. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to trick him. One time when Jesus was teaching, let me read this scripture for you. He said, Matthew 7, 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Hey, listen, would you listen for a minute with, with, with ears that say Trojan horse? He says that there are things. There are, he was speaking at that moment about false prophets. He said they're like Trojan horses, they come in right in here in the pasture. 
They look like sheep, but you know what they are. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not, they're not, um, they're not good for you. They're going to harm you. They're going to kill you. He's in essence saying that these guys, these wolves in sheep clothing, they are, they're trying to harm you. They're going to kill still. They're going to destroy from you. So be mindful of them. And I think what Jesus is saying, listen, is that it can be so, so subtle, these Trojan horses, these sheep that get in the pen. By the way, they don't come through the gate. They get in the pen through the side, right? That's what his teaching was. They get in their pen, and they look like they're sheep, but they're really wolves in sheep's clothing. Are you aware? Are you aware of other Trojan horses that I've not even spoken here that you think could be hurting and damaging and deceiving and tricking and trapping our culture into into the degradation that we're moving into? Are you aware? By the way, that's a very good question, isn't it? Are you aware? Are you aware that for the last 10 minutes I've been talking, that we've been dimming the lights in this room? Anybody notice that? Raise your hand if you notice we've been dimming the lights in this room. About about five of you. Can we take them back up? Get them up? I hope you can take them all the way back up. Some of our lights are non-dimmable. Some of our lights are. And so in different places across the room, some of you would be able to notice it, and some of you would not be able to notice it because of the different lights that are here. Here's what I want to tell you guys. The wiles, the traps, the tricks of the enemy, they're subtle. They're subtle. You don't even realize it. I don't even think we realized back in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s that our culture, it, what, I, told, I spoke about it last week, right? We talked about a sexual revolution. Let me tell you, what it was was sexual immorality. That's what it was. And the lights were being turned down. They were just being dimmed, and we didn't even feel it, the subtlety that was there. And I think the pulpit was quiet, or if it, or if it was loud, it probably got pushed down. And I think church and Christ followers were afraid to speak at different moments throughout the last 50, 60 years. But the truth of the matter is, the lights have been turning down, and it's so subtle, and the enemy has been trying to come and trick us. Last week, I read a scripture from Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember that? How, how the serpent tricked Eve into biting that apple. Hey, flip your outline over for a minute. Well, I forgot to tell you. One more thing. The intent. The intent of this Trojan horse is to sneak into our souls to accept a particular mindset as just the way our culture is. We need to wake up. We need to be mindful. Here's a scripture, Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty. You got your opinion. You might want to circle that word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. I have read that scripture so many times. And did you know, this week, I went and just did a word study on that word crafty, and I looked at different translations. Some of your translations you're reading this morning, they might have used the word subtle. Now the serpent was the more, the more subtle of the creatures that God. Some of our Bible translations say, crafty, some say subtle, some say um, clever. Now the serpent was more clever than all the other animals. But what, what I think that the scripture points to here is that subtleness. When he came to Eve and he got her to bite the apple, when he was getting her to take that step towards darkness and rebellion, it wasn't clear. It was just a subtle, clever way of getting her to bite that apple. Here's the question. 
and I've been asking it to you, and I'm going to ask it to you for the, every week in this series. Is there hope for America? And the answer to that question is absolutely. As long as God hadn't left the building, there's hope, right? The Bible says there is nothing impossible with God, and I don't believe He's given up on our country. I believe God wants to see our country restored and redeemed, and I believe, listen, I believe America can still be the global story of what God's doing in His people. But it's going to mean some things, right? I wrote down in my outline here today a few things that I think it's going to mean. I think it's going to mean the church has got to wake up. I mean, I think the church has got to wake up and get a voice. I think we've got to call out a Trojan horse if it's a call. call. Yeah, hey, go ahead. That's not for me. That's for the Lord. We've got to call out Trojan horses and say, no, no, that's not a gift. That's not a gift. That's, that's going to kill us. That's going to steal from us, and that's going to hurt us. The church has got to wake up. And you know what I also think? I think people like you and people like me need to individually and in our families, corporately, we got to start being careful of what we are allowing into our homes and allowing into our lives. we we got to be careful and understand what Paul said. Garbage in is garbage out. And we got to look at this stuff around us and say, you know what? I, I, am, I'm, I am not going to accept in my family something that people think, or I may have even bought into it as a gift. When it's really just going to rob me. It's going to steal from me. It's going to kill my family. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to realize it. And like the people who are standing on the beaches, I'm going to say, no, burn it. Burn it. I'm not bringing it in my house. Burn it. Here's another thing. I think it's real important for people like you and me to speak. I mean, go back to the words of Paul. He said, here's Here's my hope for you. Listen, that you would be blameless and upright. It righteous, right? Blameless and upright, children of God, holding forth the word of truth. This is truth. It's not an amoral society. It's not relative. It's not whatever you want to make it be. This is truth. You remember what the Bible says? The word of the Lord stands forever. It's not like the flowers that fade. It will stand forever. Children who hold forth the word of truth to a wicked and depraved and crooked generation. And then we will be like stars that shine to those who are struggling in a wicked and crooked generation. Last scripture of the day, Ephesians chapter 6. Listen, this is a challenge. You want to see God restore America? You want to see God bring hope to full life and fruition so we see it with our eyes to America? This is the message to a Christ follower. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Man, I, I feel like right now a lot of Christians are going, I just don't know what to do. I, oh. what, what do they call wringing your hands? I don't know what that is. I, I don't wring my hands. I had a grandmother that did this all the time, but I, I didn't, you know, I don't know what this is. I really, what is that about? But sometimes I feel like Christians are, hey, do it real quickly. Isn't it crazy looking? What is that about? I don't know. But I feel like there are a ton of Christians right now just, some of them are like this. I don't even know what that's about. I'm just being honest. And I feel like some of them are like this. I just, I'm going to pretend it ain't there. I'm going to just pretend it ain't there. You and I could come up with a thousand different ideologies of Christians who are not doing Ephesians 6, where it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor. You might want to circle those words. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's 
schemes. That word literally is craftiness, his tricks, his traps, his cleverness. You're putting on your armor because not like Eve, who was, who was bought it when it was subtle, not like us over the last 60 years who the light's been dimming on us, you know what? You're going to put on the full armor because you are not going to fall for the devil's subtleness and his craftiness. For our struggle <laughs> is not against Democrats and Republicans, progressives and, 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 and conservatives. It's not against a political ideology. It's not against this and that. You know what? It is against powers of, of uh, flesh, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Listen. Therefore, put on the full armor. I want to circle that word again. Paul's serious about full armor. He's saying not half the armor, full armor. Put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, I underline that in my Bible. And I think we are in a day of evil right now. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. Six different pieces of armor, Danny. Listen for these six pieces, okay? Stand firm then with the belt of truth. All right? The belt of truth buckled around your waist. <laughs> that must mean there is truth. It's not relative, right? Nah. You stand firm with the belt of truth, number one, around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Remember what Paul said? Be blameless, be upright, children of God. The breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We don't have we, we, we don't have a gospel of conflict. We don't have a gospel of argumentation. We don't have, you know what we have? We have a gospel of peace and reconciliation. That's what we want to have, feet that are ready to share the gospel of peace. Which, um, and then the next one. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, number four, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Paul was saying, listen, you're being attacked on every, every angle. Do you realize it? And you don't want to go into this battle even Monday morning and not have the shield and the sword and the belt and the feet. and the, You want a helmet. You, the, the breast, breastplate. You want to have it all. You want to have it all. And you want to go as God's warrior into this world. Guys, we got a couple more things to do before we're done here today, but we need to pray. We need to pray for ourselves. You know, last week I asked you to come and pray for our country, but this week I'm going to get you to come and pray for yourself. I'm going to, pray, I'm going to ask you to pray for yourself and your workplace. That's the first thing I'm going to ask you to pray for. And if you don't have a workplace, just think of whatever you're, where you spend most of your time, okay? Now, Stephen, uh, Pastor Stephen, I go to school. That's great. That's your workplace, all right? Pray over your workplace where you go to school or, or where in your home, if you are a stay-at-home mom, you pray over your workplace. That's your workplace. And I want you to pray over your relationships, over your relationships, that God would use you to be a voice of truth. And I want you to pray over your heart, okay? Over your heart. I want you to pray over your heart that you would be an upright, righteous child of God. That's what we're after, guys. So in the next few minutes as we come, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to let you talk with God. On bended knee, play for your workplace. Pray for your relationships. And pray for your heart that you would be upright and righteous and that you shine like a star in a crooked, perverted, wicked generation. Come on, guys. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for ourselves, okay? The altar's open. Come on. Come on.
Lord, we bow our lives before you this morning and we are just, we're crying out for you to bring revival to our country and bring reconciliation to our country. But Lord, it's not about thinking that revival is going to start somewhere else. It's got to start in my life first. It's got to start in my walking upright. It's got to to start with, Lord, me trying to shine like a star. Before it's going to happen somewhere else in the country or, or, or hoping that somebody else bring it forward, God, I pray today for these warriors here. These warriors who are coming forward and saying, God, I I think I've been going out into the world without my full armor on. Lord, help me. Help me to walk as a warrior for you, as one who is shining and holding forth the truth in my workplace, in my home, and having my heart ready, oh God, wherever I go, to be your child and to shine like a star. And God, I just ask you, Lord, humble us. That is a scary prayer, but I pray, humble us. Humble us as Christ followers. Humble us as a nation. Because pride is what comes before the fall. And you never, you never bless pride. You are at war with pride. Humble our homes. Lord, humble our church. Humble us here. Because, Lord, your word promises us if we would would find a way to humble ourselves before you in our homes and in our churches and in our government, if our government would begin to humble itself, Lord, you promise us that you come alongside the humble and you begin to lift them up. Lord, that's what we need in America. That's our hope, Lord, that you would would lift us up. Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray for our country. I, I pray for our church across America, Lord. I pray humility over us, brokenness over us, that we would be ready to come out of our hiding and turn to you, oh God. And in that place, find forgiveness, find hope, find restoration. Lord, you, even though we've let Trojan horses into our city, you would help us defeat them and push them back out. Lord, I believe it can happen, but I believe it's got to happen by Christ followers like us, raising up a standard in our home, putting on the full armor of God and walking in that armor as a warrior every day. Lord, may it be so. May it be so with us this week in our workplaces, this week in our homes, and our hearts have that humble attitude. Thank you, oh God. Thank you. Do it in us. Start it in us, I pray. And we pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus the Nazarene. Amen. 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 Church, can you say amen? Amen. Hey, before we go today, we're going to celebrate something together. So while you guys are moving back to your seats, I, I want to just invite a family forward. Um, the Bozeman family. Did y'all already do this today? No? Hey, Bozeman family, y'all come forward real quickly. I want to show you something that happened last week.